morning, Mount Calvary Church. How's everyone today? I'm going to preach down here if that's okay. Can everyone see me? You usually seem so far away. And we got to, you know, I'm even getting maybe closer than this. How's everyone doing? My name is Jason Parmer. Some of you know me. Some of you don't. For those that don't know me, that's good. Um, my wife and I were just talking. It was 21 years ago this month that we walked in the back of this church as a newlywed couple. My wife was hired at Mount Calvary as the English and music teacher. And some, some white-haired pastor came up to us back then. I don't know who that was. And he said to us, he said, where can I plug you guys in? And the rest is history. We served here uh, for about 10 years as a lay music youth. We did everything that they wanted us to do. And as the testimony, that, that young, uh, the man gave his testimony about uh, Mount Calvary, what it meant to him. Folks, Mount Calvary is a great church. You have a great church here. You really do. And young people, get plugged into your church. Serve your church. You won't regret it. You won't. Many of you, I look out. Had an impact on our life. I'm the worship and youth pastor at Faith Bible Church in Violent. Mount Calvary had a big part in that. Poured into us. Poured into us. Had some great times. I've seen Marta and, and Bev up here singing. Many memories flood back of us singing together, ministering together. I look around, I see many familiar faces. You folks were examples to us as a young couple who were just starting out, seeing how you raised your kids. What, what, what a privilege it was to, to be here with you for 10 years. And the last time I stood up here, it was a very emotional time. It was about the summer of 2004 where we told everyone that we got called in the full-time ministry. And we were moving down to Violin, New Jersey, the armpit of America. All right? People asked me, why are you moving to Jersey? Well, I can only say one thing, and that is it was a God thing. Because I would not have chose to move to Violin, New Jersey. But God had his hand in our, in our lives, and we're so grateful for that. Um, my family's here. I, I, I'm not going to make them stand. They'll, they'll kill me in the car later, but they're here. Uh, my wife and our five children, call them the M&Ms, the five M's. And that actually started here as well. That We were a young married couple. Some of us were here, and all of a sudden we started having kids. Everyone was having kids. And we, like, exploded into this nursery. And the nursery, they needed extra workers for nurseries because all of us were having kids. And so uh, it was, it's been a great blessing. I have to just uh, remind you of two things. Um, if I fall asleep, wake me up. I'm on Filipino time. We got back last Monday from a Philippine missions trip. My, another pastor and I spoke in the Word of Life over there, taught there in their Bible Institute. Our teens had a work project. So I'm like, it's like 11 o'clock at night on my, in my mind. So if I happen to just, just nudge me, just say, hey, wake up, Pastor Jay. All right? Um, and secondly, I apologize for the way that I'm dressing this morning. I was forbidden to wear a bow tie today by two young men in your church, who I'm friends with, I won't mention any names, but BJ and Tim, um, said, oh, come on, the bow tie, but that's how we roll in violin. You know, just how we roll. But I decided to dress like a farmer from E-Town. So we'll just go with that this morning. This morning, I'd just like to have a conversation with you, and we're going to be in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 5, verses 5, 4, and, four and 6. Actually, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. 
And so I'm gonna, I may come back and ask you some questions, and I, I love feedback from, from individuals when I teach. And so since there's not many folks here, we just have to have a conversation this morning. I know you've been studying the book of Colossians. And the, the title of this, when BJ gave this to me, was called Taming the Tongue. And when you think of a message dealing with our tongue, it's typically not this passage of Scripture in Colossians. I think of James chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, put away these things from our conversation. This has a different take, and it has to more, more, more do with evangelism and reaching out and things not to say to outsiders and to the world. So as we look at this message, I want us to think of the word opportunity. So let me ask you this, and you can speak to me. You won't get in trouble. All right, when you think of opportunities... What, what do you think about? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you say, ah, oh, I missed that opportunity? What, what's the, what are some illustrations of missed opportunities? Promotion. Yeah, promotion of the job. That was the first thing I thought of. What else? What else? Nothing? Relationship. Oh, yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a really good one. You missed the opportunity to ask that girl guy to the prom. Right? You laugh. You, you're, you're there, right? That was you. That was you, right? All right? Yeah, missed opportunities. They're all around us. They're all around us. This morning, I want us to see of the opportunities that we have each and every day to be the salt and light, to be a friend, to show love to those around us and those who are not of the faith. We may have missed opportunities just this morning with our neighbor, maybe with that person we bought that coffee from. These opportunities are around us every day as believers, and we want to leave here today thinking of those opportunities as opportunities for playing the gospel in their heart. You have been studying Colossians. I want to just do a quick run-through of what possibly, hopefully, you have learned in the book of Colossians. Paul closes this prison epistle with a reminder. Actually, I would say a command that Christians should be living in it every day. If we would take this challenge this morning, I believe the places of influence God has in us, we will look different at people through the lens of Christ. So let's take a few moments to review the culture, the surroundings of this prison epistle. Paul was talking to the, to the, to the Christians there at Colossae. There was four things that were happening in their culture. Agnosticism, angel worship, worshiping of festival days. They had, they had all kinds of worship happening in their culture. Dr. Richards of the Teacher's Commentary states this, the Gnostics whose influence was shaking the Colossian believers had a notion of spirituality and drastically distorted the Christian way. It was rooted in a doctrine that robbed Jesus of his central place. Rather than seeing Jesus as the focus of God's act, the Gnostics pushed him aside as one of the series of what God did, not the, not the forerunner person and work of Christ. So Colossians 1 it's that doctrine of Christology, who Christ was, who he is, what he has done for us. You sung, we sung about that, that last song that we sung. I believe in God the Father. That whole chorus of that song is our, is our gospel. It's what we say. It's what we believe. We, hopefully, we would die for those words. Amen? We would die for those words. Colossians 2, despite his imprisonment, he wanted them to be encouraged in their position in Christ and not to pay attention of the cultural teachings, agnosticism, angel worship, worship of festivals, new moons. They diminished who Jesus was. So Paul was encouraging them to know their position in Christ. Chapter 3, he lovingly sets, tells them to set their minds on things above 
and put to death the things of the flesh. He gives them those fruits of the Spirit, much like he did with the Christians in Galatians chapter 5. Those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. He ends chapter 3 by giving us guidelines in our relationships as husbands, wives, fathers, children, and, and employees or employers, slaves or masters. And we come to chapter 5. Sorry, chapter 4. And he gives believers a job to do when dealing with non-believers. So I want us to read here in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. He says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What is one thing Paul is asking the Christians here in Colossae to continue to be strong in? What's the word? begins with P. Prayer. Prayer. As we study the scriptures today, we will leave here today having two points in our notes. Our first point today is this. Passionately pursue God in prayer. Have you ever pursued anything? Some of us said a career. I'm going to an illustration of a college and career couple in our church, uh, Frank and Kimmy. They're married now. They were, uh, he was one of my college and career guys. He graduated from Lancaster Bible College. And he came home, he went to a, we went to a camp, and he came home, he liked this girl. He liked this girl. And I said, well, you know what you have to do? You've got to call her. You've got to write her. You've got to text her. Really? Yeah, that's how this works. If you like someone, that's, this is what you do. And so he started doing that. I said, you have to pursue her. You have to pursue her. And he did, and he texted her, and he Facebooked her, he called her. And three years later, they're married. Today is one of our youth leaders, one of our deacons in our church, have three children. He pursued the girl that he loved, much like many of us did with our spouses. We pursued our spouse, didn't we? Guys say, yes, you did. That's the right answer. You take that same pursuing in our everyday life of our job, the girl, the guy, we need to pursue God in prayer every day. Every day. Not every day, every moment. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's look what Paul was telling these believers to do. In a culture that was diminishing Jesus and who Jesus was, Paul was not telling them to go protest, start an activist group. He was telling them to what? Pray. Continue steadfastly. Let's look at that word steadfastly. In the context of this verse, it means to consistently be diligent in, to continually, to continue in, to wait on. Paul reminds the Christians in Rome of this very thing, very same thing in Romans 12, 12. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. Verse 12, it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant, constant in prayer. Not only did he tell them to remain steadfast, he told them to be constant, diligent, continue in. 
Paul then tells them to be this in the area of prayer. Be watchful with thanksgiving. Being grateful. In this context, in the original language, it means to remain awake because of the need to to be continually alert. To stay awake. Be watchful. Why do you think Paul was telling the Christians there to be watchful when he prays? What do you think? Any thoughts? You can help me preach this morning. Any thoughts? I am afraid of silence, so I will move on, okay? Some people, I'll, I'll wait till someone responds. No, we won't do that. Any thoughts? Why do you think Paul was telling them to be watchful in their prayer? What was that? Be aware of Christ. Be aware of Christ. Right. What else? See how God answers it? See, I, I, I look at where, where Paul was in, in, in the culture of Colossae in, with his Christians there. The things that they were worshiping. We look at our culture today. Do we need to be continually steadfast in prayer? Everyone's head should be like this, right? Being watchful. Can, can you really look at your prayer life? And I, I've, every time I preach this message, it convicts me in my life. Am I watchful in prayer? Do I continue steadfastly in prayer? Or I am more on social media than I am consulting God. Think about that a minute. Richard Millick of the New American Commentary states this, The first characteristic of prayer is watchfulness. The term implies mental alertness. The Colossians' prayers were to be in tune with the times. The Colossians were to be... To, to pray with mental alertness, presumably this meant that they were to know the circumstances of life, particularly those that affected the spread of the gospel. So what does the 21st century Christian prayer look like on an everyday? What's the Sunday school answer, the Christian school answer, the Bible college answer? We pray. What do we pray for? I ask my kids, okay, why do we pray? Because we love Jesus, Right? What do we pray for? What are some of the things that we pray for as a society, as a culture today? What do we pray for? Safety? We just flew to the Philippines. The first thing I said, please may the plane not fall out of the air. We pray for safety, don't we? What, what are some other things we pray for? What is that? Health. We pray for health. What else? Food. Amen. Pray for food. What's that? For him to speak to us so we can live correctly? Yeah. Forgiveness. They're the exact answers I wanted. But not one of us said, pray for opportunities for me to share my faith. For me to share my faith. That's Paul's focus on this prayer here. Prayer for opportunities that I can be a light and a testimony in a crazy, mixed-up culture. And we would agree that's where we're at, aren't we? Let's continue on and see what Paul has to say here. Dr. Walvers says it this way in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Paul not only practiced a mature prayer life, he devoted himself to it. Here's the statement that by Dr. Walver. I'll read it twice because it's so profound. Prayer, as vital to one's spiritual health as breathing is to one's physical health. Let me say that again. Prayer, as vital to one's spiritual health as breathing is to one's physical health. How's your prayer life? How are you doing? Do we continually pray? Martin Luther 
when pressed by huge volumes of work, did not use it as an excuse to stop praying. He said this, I have so much to do that I cannot get on without three hours of praying a day. Martin Luther. Three hours of praying a day. It's like, wow. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Paul not only tells the believers to pray personally and be watchful for them in the culture in which we live, he also asks for them to intercede for him. And here's where I want to go this morning with our idea of prayer. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So we see Paul is in prison here, and he's asking the Christians here to pray on my behalf so I know how to answer people for the gospel. He starts out that passage of Scripture encouraging Christians, be watchful, be steadfast, continue in prayer. And that prayer is not our cookie-cutter answer prayer that we pray every day. It's a specific prayer for the opportunity to share our faith, to share the gospel. And I'm going to show, in a little bit, we'll, we'll talk about what that looks like in our life. That word open there. I, 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 when I looked at the word open here in the context, it has the idea of restoring or healing a, a, a wound. And as I, as, I, as I look at, at Colossians and you look at Paul, is Paul reminding the Christians here in Colossae that, you know what, I'm looking to rebuild relationships that I've blown because of the things that I say. And if I was to ask us a question, how many of us here blew opportunities and said things we shouldn't have said at wrong times, and you're like, why did I say that? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. We all raise our hand, I hope, because I'd be the first to raise it. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.19, he says, I want you to pray so I can open my mouth boldly. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, he says, again, he asks the brothers, pray for us. Again, the purpose for praying wasn't for his safety, was it? Because every time Paul was writing this, where is he sitting? He's in prison. And if I was writing a letter, Pastor Dan, if I was writing a letter to you in prison, get me out of here! And all of us would do the same thing. I got a wife, I got kids at home. Not Paul. Pray that I have opportunities for the advancement of the gospel. That's where Paul was. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, a great door has been opened for the gospel. Why was he asking for prayers for these Christians? Because he was passionately in love with Jesus, and he knew the life-changing grace that was bestowed upon him through that, through that moment in time in the road to Damascus, and he was sharing this gospel that changed him, just like the testimony we heard this morning. That was a great testimony. Never be ashamed of that testimony. That shows God's grace in your life. All of us have that story. At that moment, we came to Christ. We came to Christ because of God's grace. He says this in verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on the account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So let me ask, how are we doing in passionately pursuing God in prayer? Are we asking God for like spiritual things, God things, or is we treat God like the, the genie in the bottle? When we're in trouble, oh, God, I need your help, Lord. You know, students, oh, I need an A on this test. My mom's going to kill me, right? 
You've prayed that prayer, right? Please, my report card be good, right? Yeah, we all have done that. We treat God like a, like a genie in the bottle. Every time we're in trouble, God, please, oh, boom. And we think he comes out, okay, what do you, what's your wish is my command. That's not how God works. Do have we asked God for God things? You know what I mean? Things that matter for eternity. When Christians are pursuing God in prayer, there is healing, relationships are restored, and the gospel is advanced. We will be watchful, steadfast, and continue in prayer, not only personally, but will we pray for others in your life groups that you have? When people give a testimony or a prayer request, do we continue to intercede for those individuals throughout our week? I hope so. I know sometimes you meet in your small groups, especially with college and career folks, and they're just, they're just rambling on prayer requests, and, yeah, I'll pray for you. And times I, I don't always pray for them throughout the week. And that's to my shame. I should. We as Christians, we would pray for one another, intercede for one another. For the purpose of the advancement of the gospel, our world would be changed around us. Elizabethtown, Harrisburg, Lancaster area. Our world would be changed. The next important point in which Paul drives home here is how we respond to non-believers. If I was to get a map and show that on the screen of all of our influences, if I was to take Kenan and Diane and Bev and put them, where do you work, where do you go? And the influences that we have just in this room tomorrow morning when we, get, when we go to work, can you imagine what that map would look like? How many people we can touch for the gospel? Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I like the way the NIV says it. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, each, how to answer each person. Our second point this morning is this. Provide love and grace in our conversation with the lost. Provide love and grace with our conversation to those who, as Paul calls them, the outsiders, those who aren't of the faith. That word walk there means a lifestyle, to behave, to go about doing. So when it says, when you walk in wisdom, it's your everyday life, what you're doing, what you're acting like. Walk in wisdom. The way that you live, how are you walking? How are you living amongst the world around us? That word wisdom means to act wisely, to be prudent in our life. And of course, that word outsiders in the, in the context. You hate to say it in, in, in the Greek, it's foreigners and aliens. You don't want to call unsaved peoples foreigners and aliens, but they're, they understand that they're ones, individuals that aren't of the faith, have not, been, have not trusted Christ. Dr. Dockery from the Holman's Bible Commentary says this, believers conduct and speech, uh, believers' conduct and speech should be carefully controlled and used with great wisdom and love. So as we live and do life with unbelievers, how are we acting? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you eat, need to answer each person. That word gracious there means generous. Generously. Do we answer those who aren't of the faith generously? 
Or do we just spout off our, our views on a particular issue and make sure that we're right in what we believe? Remember, they don't know Christ. Season with salt. That means to cause it to taste right, right, right again. In that culture, salt was used for two reasons, preserving and taste. seems like every time that I preach a message, God gives me illustrations right from my very home. And so I love asparagus, New Jersey asparagus. I love it. How many of you guys like asparagus? All right. I actually dug my own asparagus bed. I, in two years, I'll see the, the produce of that, which is awesome. So my buddy in, in Violet, he grows it, and so every church he gives me a big, hey, I got some more asparagus, here you go. So I love it. And I love a little seasoning on it, some Cajun powder. That's my, that's my weapon of choice. And so a couple weeks ago, I'm there, I'm getting ready. I said, Jude, do you have any Cajun powder? Yeah, I got a whole thing of it. Here you go. And I trusted my wife. I didn't look at the label. I didn't know she was going to try to kill me. All right? So she hands me this in the same color, and I doused it. I doused it. I was like, oh. and the kids look at me. That's a lot of Cajun. I'm like, I, I want some spice. I bit into that in my mouth. It was like I was a dragon. Ah, it was cayenne pepper. She gave me cayenne pepper, and my mouth was burning. And I said, Jude, what are you trying to do? What did that seasoning do to my mouth? Well, I wanted to get rid of it. She had to wipe off my nicely cooked asparagus. That's a great example of sometimes how we as Christians come across to the world. You see what I'm saying? We come across, this is right, and, and yeah, I, theologically we're right. But every, in an everyday world where you're dealing with people who do not know Christ, do we answer them seasoned with salt? Or is it just like, here's the cayenne pepper, boom, here's what I believe in, boom, you're going to hell, boom, there it is. And they're just like, whoa. When it's done right, you taste that. And when Judy gives me the proper spices... I love it, and it's just the right taste. Mmm, it's good. That's the way the gospel should be to those who are lost. They should want to come back for more. We'll explain how that works in a minute. Has Christ received a bad rap in our culture? Has, has, has Christianity, has Jesus received a bad rap? What's our answer? And why is that? What, what, what are some answers? Why does Jesus... Why is Christianity receive a bad rap? Yes, sir, in the back. Yeah. Okay, stop there because that's my next my next point. Good job, man. Give him a hand. All right, good job. All right. Very, very good point. Exactly right. You heard the word, ah, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. What does that mean? Ah, they say one thing and they do another. And I, you heard, all of us have heard that excuse from people that don't know. Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And they lump everyone into one. But there is some valid truth to that. There are Christians in this church at Faith Bible. There are individuals that are hypocrites. And they go out and they live their life in the world. And the people see that. And they have a valid point. Would you agree that there's hypocrites in the church, in Christianity? Yes. Number two, apathetic believers. Believers that can't decide what they want to do. Would you stop straddling the fence and either serve God, as Joshua told the nation of Israel in Joshua 24, or go serve the gods of your Amorites? 
who your fathers worshipped. But figure it out. Who are you going to serve, Jesus or the world? But we have apathetic Christians in our world today. Eh, you know, and churches are starting to get that way. The doctrine doesn't matter. Theology doesn't matter. Well, you know, it's okay to do this. we got to figure it out because the world is watching us. And lastly, it's those hard-nosed believers that always want their opinion to be heard. Well, this is what the Bible says, and this is what you got to... And the world just backs off and just says, whoa, man, that's just too much. For example, how does this look tomorrow? Okay, let's look at politics, because no one's talking about politics today, right? No one's talking about politics. That's a hot topic. So you're at work and you're talking, regardless of what your voting is, you may have a view on each candidate and everyone that's in your, in your local communities and the federal. Sometimes your opinion does not need to be heard. Why? Because you're trying to build a relationship with this individual. You say your opinion. I mean, I don't, he's, he's an idiot. I mean, he's really loud. You know what? I don't know. Really, it happens. On Facebook, everyone, there's some people that post every little article there is on politics, on Christianity, and they don't think about... And, and I agree with many of the articles that I read. But how about the unsaved people that are your friends on those social media sites? Are they going to understand why you posted a, an article on homosexuality? When I worked here at Capitol Blue Cross up in Harrisburg, I had many, many lesbian friends that I worked with that were my friends, and I worked with them if I would post an article on something that I biblically I believe is true, but just to throw my opinion out there, what am I doing with the relationship I have with those individuals? It's gone. Our conversation is seasoned with salt and full of grace. Transgenderism. Young people, this is coming right down your pike. This is in the school. And violent, this is in the schools already. How are we responding? Yes, we know what we believe biblically. We know what the Bible says. It's sin. It's wrong. Yes, that's correct. But how do we reach to the outsiders? How do we love on them? Many times, what happens is we run from those people, don't we? Ooh, no, 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 no. You're going to get me dirty. I don't No, no, no. When we need to be running to them because they are looking for some kind of hope. And who has the hope? It's us. Right? Shake your heads. We have the answer to their disease. That disease of sin comes from, from, from being saved, being free from sin comes from being saved, putting your personal trust in Christ. They need help. They need the answer. So how are you responding to those people in your culture, in your world of influence? One of the things that I, I enjoy doing in, in Vineland uh, past couple years, I was sworn in as one of the, 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 the chaplains for the Violent Police Department. And we give six hours a month for 16 ordinated, uh, ordained pastors that volunteer our time to go in, in the community with the police department. Um, as a pastor, it works one day a week. Joke, okay. Other people say, he works one day a week? Really? That's a pretty good job. No, that does, that's not the way it works. That's what we're told. We work, right, Pastor Dan? We work one day a week. There's three things that we do as chaplains. We do ride-alongs with the officers. That is awesome, especially in violence. That's awesome. Ride-along with the officers. You have a two-hour counseling session right there with them in the car. 
Got to ride with some street crimes guys. They are some bad dudes. They call me the good luck charm because every time I ride with them, they bust someone with heroin or cocaine. And I'm in the back seat like, this is awesome. <laughs> it's like I'm watching cops on TV. And I'm watching, I'm just like, and they think, get out, chaplain. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it's, it is funny how that works. You get out, and they introduce, oh, this is Chaplain Jason. Oh, I'm really, oh, man, a pastor, man. You know, and they, they get all worried up. And it's like, you know, but you're able to minister to them. You do. We do death notifications where we go with an officer when someone's killed, and we minister to the family. Um, and then thirdly, we get into the public schools where I have an ID badge to get in any public school in Violent. I go have lunch with the kids to build a relationship with them. I enjoy doing that. I'll give you this. And the illustrations that I give this morning is not to say, man, I wish I could. Do. That's not the point. Each and every single one of you have influences that I cannot connect with. It's bridging out to those people in our lives. We're planting the seed. Jesus tells us in the gospel that some of us plant, some of us water, some of us see the increase. All of us should be planting seed, watering that seed. We may not see the increase. You know, 30 years ago in evangelism, the churches I was in, you go, you got to get saved. No, 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 you got to say the prayer now, sign the card, you're saved. Right? You remember those days? Come on, you remember those days. You remember them in evangelism. Well, Jesus tells us, you throw seed, you water some seed, and you may see the increase. But our job as Christians is to plant that seed. Every contact you have with someone, that outsider, is planting that seed. My first ride-along was with a guy named Mustafa Osmadir. That is not an Italian name. That is not a German-Irish name. That is a Turkish name. He's first-generation American citizen, violent police officer, great guy. So we started talking. Law enforcement guys like to talk about politics. And I started going on talking to him, and I started going on ISIS. And that was around the time the 21 Coptic Christians were beheaded over in Egypt. So I started going and then I realized the questions he was asking, oh, no, 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 Chapman, that's not right. I started backpedaling like real, real quick. Here, Officer Oz is a Muslim. And I looked at that dashboard, I said, Lord, get me out of this. Not that afraid he was going to blow up the car or anything, but just that my relationship would not be ruined. And so I backpedaled, I backpedaled, I started asking him questions. I studied Islam, I know the truth about Islam, but I don't need to preach it to him. I'm trying to build a relationship with him. And then I backpedaled and I started asking him questions. Oh, I never knew that. That's great. Oh, yeah. I've ridden with him a couple times. And he's asked me about my faith and what I believe. But for us in Vineland, it's a reality now. They're building an Islamic mosque 15 minutes from my house. And as, as Americans, we go, oh, no. So as Christians, what should we do? Many times we look through the world through American eyes. And we need to look through our eyes as Christ would. I've seen a lot of head coverings, some guys walking around the neighborhood, around the, going to the Wawa, and you see them, and they're coming into our community. Do I go bunker down in my room and, okay, no, no. We need to find an opportunity to, 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 to speak life into them, to love on them, just like Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23 tells us this, I have become all things to all men that I may see some saved. I do this for the sake of the gospel. That's the Apostle Paul. Before that, those verses, Paul says, I become like the rich to win the rich. I come like the poor to win the poor. What's Paul saying there? He's, talking, he's getting involved with people's lives. 
And every single one of us have that opportunity every day. Are we being gracious? Is our conversation full of salt? Meaning, are you making it attractive for them to come for more? One of the other officers I drove with, Justin Selby, great guy. He's Catholic. And as I got in his car, the first question he asked me, oh, so what do you think about Catholicism? I said, that's a personal foul, time out. You do not ask an evangelical pastor what you think about Catholicism. Right? That's just like, time, whoa, 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 whoa. So I, again, I, my, the dashboard is my focal point. Okay, Lord, how do I answer this? I said, man, you know what? They're very wealthy and they're very dedicated. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And he wanted on to tell me that he went to Catholic seminary to be a priest. If I would have went on my rants or my belief about Catholicism, where would that relationship have led me? Absolutely nowhere. So we have to know how we ought to answer each person. All of us are in contact with different people. We're going to answer them differently because of their background, their upbringing. But for the purpose of down the road, being able to share Jesus with them. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. And about two months ago, I got a call from his partner. He was out four-wheeling, and the, uh, the um, handlebar went through a femoral artery in his thigh. Got flown out to Atlantic, Atlantic City Hospital, and I get a call from his partner, chaplain. Justin almost died. So I went down to see him. He's been in rehab. He's, he's, he survived. He's going back to work in probably September. And I, I remember going there and talking with him. I said, Justin, I said, God saved you, spared your life for a reason. So the text I got right when we came up here this weekend, hey, bro, good, good, glad you reached out to me. Hey, I went to Mass for the first time. We don't come visit your church this week. I said, well, I'm not going to be there, so come next week. He's going to Mass. What's that all about? For Justin, that's where he finds God. And I'm praying for Justin every day. God, pray that you would save his soul. And God's work, God, remember, God saves. The Holy Spirit woos. And is God doing that in his life to bring him to the saving knowledge of who his son is? We pray, uh, pray for Justin. Because him and his wife are coming next Sunday, and we're looking forward to going to dinner with them. Just, again, planting seeds, watering those seeds. We all have those opportunities. A week before I left for the Philippines, I got a call for a death notification of a 19-year-old girl three minutes from our church. About 7 o'clock at night, I got called out, and there's this 19-year-old girl um, OD'd on heroin in her room. And that's a really and violent, that's a very, very bad drug. Um, guys are OD'ing on it, and it's, 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 it's a very, very bad, bad thing that's happening to a lot of our young people. And uh, so I go meet the officer and they kind of give me a rundown. I sit there, and I, I see this mom on the porch, my age, just shaking, smoking, and just, just trying to figure this all out. And as a chaplain, I was talking to Pastor Dan. We're just, he's a chaplain in his area, in, in, the, in the home there in Middletown, and we're just there for presence. We don't preach the gospel. But we're there to show them that we care and we love them, hopefully for opportunities down the road. So I'm there for an hour and a half, just loving on the family, helping them make calls. I, my daughter's 19. It's a reality. It's a reality check. It's like, here's this girl, 4.0 student at Violent High School. What happened? And they don't know Jesus. They, they tell me, Chaplain, we're not religious. We don't believe in God. All right, that's okay. Two days later, I get a call from the family. Chaplain, I want you to do our, our, our daughter's funeral. I took Judy with me. It was down in Ocean City. And the first time I sat and stood before 70 unsaved people, 
None of them knew Christ. All of them were tatted up, pierced out the wazoo. Many of them were in rehab with this young girl. And I had a 15-minute message. I said, Lord, man, I just don't know what to say here. I had it planned out. had it written down. Just, just, just spoke comfort about what the comfort that Christ gives and how they can know that comfort. Do I know the outcome of that? I don't. But that whole day was just planting seed in the people's life. You, every single one of you, have that opportunity in your life. Who is it that you're planting seed to? Who is it that you're watering? For me, with Justin, I'm watering now. I already planted the seed. Now I'm watering. I'm getting him to come to church. We're going doing lunch together. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm watering. For you, you have those individuals that you're watering. And you're, okay, you're planting a seed here. That person you get caught from. Then maybe to this afternoon, it's that restaurant you go to where you've been building a relationship. You know the waiter or the waitresses, and you're building that relationship for the possibility of one day sharing Christ with that individual. That's what Paul's talking about, being wise in the way that we act towards outsiders. That's what Paul is saying. I stumbled on a, a website through social media. It was called, it's called Hello Christian. This blogger put 22 things that Christians need to quit doing. I want to use, I want to just, as we close, three of them. So let me get your pen out and you can write these down because these are, these are really, really good. It made me think as a pastor, as a Christian, man, I've done this. I need to stop doing these things. The first one. Christians. Quit expecting the world to be like us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 and 14. Let's turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Christians, stop expecting the world to be like us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And we impart, these, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person, the person that doesn't know Christ, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What's Paul saying here? We cannot expect the world to live like us. Why? What's the common denominator? It's Jesus. They don't have the Spirit of God like we do living in their heart, in their life, to make, oh, wait, I, yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. But for us as Christians, eh, no, because we know what the Bible says. So Christians, expect the, stop expecting the word, world to live like us. Number two, quit expecting unbelievers to understand the Bible and live like us. Have you been there? I, mean, I don't know why they keep doing that. They don't know Christ. They're just following their father, the devil, right? They are just following their father, the devil. Christians, we need to quit expecting unbelievers to believe the Bible. You know, this is what the Bible says. They don't get it. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to build relationships for us to have opportunity to share this book with them, right? Lastly, Quit acting like we are better than they are, because we're not. Quit acting like we are better than they are, because we're not. What a testimony. 
I guess I can say a young man. I feel old saying that. Holy cow. We're not better than the world. God in his grace chose us. We look down our noses at the world because of the lifestyle they live. It's only by God's grace that we are not there. I'm probably standing here. I don't know all your lives. I heard a testimony this morning. Someone was involved with drugs and drinking. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were drug addicts. Some of you were, were, were fornicators. Some of you were adulterers. Maybe some of you were homosexual. I, I don't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the apostle Paul gives us a list of sins. And these, for these individuals, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Oh, amen, yeah. Then you don't read verse 11. And he says, however, such as were some of you. We are just redeemed sinners who lived maybe those lifestyles. And we should never look down our noses at sinners or think we're better because we are not. Paul told the Christians in Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, none one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. We were all worthless. We all are. But it's because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. As we close, I want to look at the person we should look at when it comes to seeing how he responded to outsiders, and that is Jesus Christ himself. You don't have to turn here, but so I'll just give these passages of Scripture. Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. We sing the song growing up, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And we stop at the point, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to, right? And that's it. But the, the passage continues, and it says that Jesus went in with Zacchaeus, and who got fired up? The spiritual teachers, the Pharisees. Why is he going into a sinner's house? Because that's who Jesus came to seek and to save. He went into Zacchaeus' house. Why? Because he wanted Zacchaeus to be a follower of him, no matter what the world said. We look at the calling of Matthew in Matthew chapter 9, verses 19 through 13. Same thing. We read that past scripture. We see Jesus, Matthew, follow me. Matthew follows him, and we stop there. Great, another disciple. There he is. But it says that Jesus went into the house and reclined with the tax collectors and the publicans, which was a no-no for any religious person. What did Jesus say at the end of that passage of scripture? I've come for the lost not those that are well. And two illustrations dealing with two women. I think you know who they are. John 8, the women caught in adultery. And we know the story. The town gathers around, getting ready to stone this woman who was caught in, caught, caught in adultery. And Jesus is there. Before they're ready to, to lash on her and stone her and kill her, they turn to Jesus. So what do you think we should do with him? Her. What was Jesus' response? Well, yeah. If you, without sin, you cast the first stone. And we know the story. Stones drop. Everyone walks away. And Jesus, in his gracious speech, and his conversation that was love, said, where are, your, where are your accusers? Do they accuse you? No, neither do I. Someone was caught in a sin that deserved death. And Jesus, in his love and his mercy, 
And his conversation with her, go and sin no more. And lastly, the Samaritan woman, John 4. Of course, Samaritans we know were half-breeds. They were not accepted in the Jewish culture. They would try to go around Samaria when they were traveling. It's not a place where they wanted to go. And Jesus is here at the well, community well, talking to a Samaritan woman, expressing to her how she can get water everlasting. So think a minute. How do you respond to outsiders? Is there someone this week you're thinking about that you've been building a bridge with and you just you need to continue to water that seed or plant another seed? Or the people, you see what I mean? We pray to God, say, God, give me an opportunity. When you pray that to God, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you go to work, you go to school, or whatever the situation is, guess what? God's going to answer that prayer. And you're going to be like, ooh, there it is. Be ready to follow up on it, to plant that seed. It's not always, hey, let me sit down. Let me just share with you what Jesus did on the, in the cross. No, it's living. Remember that your lives, you're living a life that is prudent, that is God-honoring. And your life, many times, should mimic this book. Four opportunities where we can sit down, hopefully with Justin, and I'll be able to share the gospel with him. And pray that he comes to Christ. But our lives, throughout our week, throughout our months, who are you pouring into? Who are you building into? Who are you planting the seed with? Who are you watering to see the increase? Is your conversation good? Is it gracious? What do you think? You having someone in your mind that you're thinking about? It's like, man, are you ready to get dirty? You're ready to, to, to build a relationship with someone who has a lot of baggage. It's not fun. It's a lot of work. But it is worth it. It's a lot of work. And, I, and to my shame, I have thought that very same thing. Ah, you know what? I really don't want it. Oh, man, this is just going to be a black hole. Shame on me. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that we are respecters of person when it comes to building into people's lives. How about you? Have we done that? Look down our noses. Eh, I'm not gonna. They need Jesus. When a push comes to shove, end of revelation, earth and heaven have passed, and we're standing there at the great right throne judgment with God. That's what matters. Up at that point, it's it's done. So we have the working orders right now to try to reach out to a generation that right now is the craziest in our culture that has ever been. Things are allowed, a country's changing, it's, it's nuts. So instead of sitting back in the corner, well, I'm just going to stay here in my Christian, go out there, build relationships because people need us. They need us to be the salt and to be the light. When all hell breaks through in their life and they've lost it all, you know who they're going to come to? They're going to come to you. Why? Because you lived a life during your struggles and trials that they looked at and said, wow, there's something different. There's something different. Who gave that message? Oh, amen. 
As we close today, is there someone this morning, as we talked about this, sometimes I'll do this, and is there... Is there someone you're thinking about you can say that, yeah, you know what, Pastor? I've been trying to reach out with this person. I'm going I'm I'm to make an effort this week to do something. Any, anyone want to share just something? Again, I, I hate silence, so I am not going to, to, to prolong this. But has, 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 God, has God touched on your heart someone that you want to reach out to this week? Yes, God, a, brother. a brother. Amen. Yeah. A brother. Anyone? Yes. Thanks for your service, sir. Thank you so much. And those, those opportunities we have to plant seed, water that seed. Yeah, anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, a wayward daughter and boyfriend. How do we respond to these people with love and with grace? For the purpose of seeing them, in this case, come back to God. For those unbelievers to see that they can have the hope that we have that lies within us. I thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate this morning to speak to you, have this conversation. It's always a privilege and honor to always come back here, a lot of memories. And so let's just close with a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for this time we have to come together and just study your word. Lord, allow us this week to make a difference in our life by how we respond to the lost. All of us are thinking of different people that we maybe have missed opportunities. And as Paul says, pray for an open opportunity that I can restore that relationship. And maybe that's what we need to do here this morning with, our, with the people we're thinking about. Lord, I pray that each and every single person in this room will restore a relationship that was broken because of something that was said. Lord, I ask that you would give your brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters here this morning, opportunities to plant seeds this week. It's little things saying, I'm praying for you. Building a relationship, building a bridge for the purpose of down the road, being able to see that person come to Christ. Thank you so much for your word and the truth that lie within it. Help us to be ambassadors for you this week. And we ask this in your son's holy and precious name.